from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. All right. Well, hey, good morning and welcome to FBC and our online worship service. I'm so glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Matt and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to say welcome uh, wherever you are, however you're tuning in. We're just glad that you've uh, made this a part of your morning to come and worship with us. And I want to invite you to open up uh, a Bible, if you have one, or if you need to look up the words online, however you need to find our scripture for the morning. Uh, we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. Again, 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15. For a few weeks now, we've been in this sermon series called Onward, where we're studying the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, verse by verse, little by little, walking through the book. We're going to do that uh, all fall. So we still have a while to go, and we're already a few weeks in, and you see we're still in chapter one. Uh, The Bible is just, it's rich. It has so much for us, and so we're trying not to move too fast so we can soak it all up. Uh, We called the series Onward because uh, the letter of 2 Timothy is really all about looking forward, pointing us uh, into the future to prepare for what's coming as we follow Jesus. Uh, Paul, the apostle, is writing this letter in the first century to this young pastor named Timothy and trying to encourage him and prepare him for what's ahead. And so we similarly want to learn how we can prepare ourselves to step out uh, onward as we follow Jesus into what is ahead. Uh, Would you join me in just a brief word of prayer? Father, we love you, and we are grateful for the gift of your word. Uh, You are so kind and so good. Uh, You've made yourself known to us. You've no longer uh, uh, left us just to wonder about who you are and what you're like. You've shown us in your word. And so uh, we pray that you'd help us come to know you more fully this morning. Pray you'd help us understand ourselves and what you uh, call us to. Uh, Jesus, we we thank you. We pray that you would just use this time. We turn our hearts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever felt abandoned or deserted? Not necessarily by God, but by other people. You felt left out on, on the outside looking in, or maybe there were people you trusted or counted on. Uh, that didn't show up when you needed them or or somehow uh, were nowhere to be found after you thought that there was a deep connection there. I think we all know that experience and what that's like to be rejected, to be deserted, to be abandoned, to be on the outside looking in. I remember at our, our former church, you know, we were leading a small group in Colorado and had this good collection of young people, young families, friends that we were sharing life with. And then there were times where sometimes those people would 
uh, would, would leave or would kind of drop off the map and wouldn't get back to us very much or somehow would kind of, kind of fall out of our normal rhythms. And we would wonder, what's, what's going on? Where are they? It was difficult sometimes to be the ones that were, were left. And so I, I think we all can relate with this, this pain of being abandoned. And, and the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, is, he's no different than you and I. He's a real human being with real emotions and real discouragements that he faced. And so I want us to see here in chapter 1, we're going to see this picture of, of relational difficulty that Paul is navigating and see what we can learn from it. So I want to look at the text with you. I'll show you kind of what I mean here in chapter 1 as, as Paul continues in verse 15. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. So, remember, in chapter 1 so far, Paul's been writing to this young pastor, Timothy, and he's been encouraging him to, uh, to stay the course, right, to guard the gospel and continue to teach these truths. He's encouraged him to uh, embrace the gift of God, that uh, the work God is doing in Timothy's life and wants to do through him, to embrace it, to be bold in the gospel, to not be ashamed of the gospel or of Paul and the fact that Paul's in prison. And now it's as if in Paul's mind as he's writing, a few examples come to mind of people who have not done this, people who have not uh, stuck with Paul or stuck with the gospel. And he says, by the way, hey, you know, Timothy, that, that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. The province of Asia here was a Roman province in the first century. And Ephesus was the capital city of that province. And, and Ephesus is where young Timothy is a pastor. And so Paul is writing to him and saying, I'm calling you to be bold. I'm calling you to not be ashamed of the gospel or not be ashamed of, of me and my ministry. And, and by the way, so many in Ephesus and in the surrounding region have deserted me. It's a pretty hard word. Uh, the verb here for deserted is sometimes elsewhere in the New Testament used to describe someone who's deserted the faith, who's rejected the gospel or abandoned the truth of Jesus and the gospel message. Uh, but here, that, that verb in its context is not necessarily indicating that, hey, everyone in Asia or everyone or most of these people here have deserted the gospel or denied Jesus, but Paul is saying, hey, they've denied or deserted me personally. He's not saying, hey, everyone here is not a Christian, but he's saying, hey, they've all kind of distanced themselves from me. And we don't know exactly why, but in the text, it gives us some clues, right? Already he's mentioned the potential for some people to be ashamed of Paul being in prison, right? Paul is in prison awaiting his death, for his ministry. And uh, he says some people are going to have a hard time with that. Just like today, right? Those who are in prison sometimes carry with them this, this stigma. Uh, we kind of maybe will glance at them in a certain way. People might not want to be associated with those who have been in prison or are in prison. And so for Paul, some of his former friends some of his partners in ministry, even some churches maybe that were encouraging him or supporting him before now, they want to distance themselves from Paul. They don't want to be connected to him. They don't want to be associated with him. 
And if you've experienced the pain of rejection or abandonment, then you know how difficult and painful and hard this could be for Paul. And you notice here, he mentions a few people by name, right? Verse 15. We don't always see this in the text, but he mentions people by name. He says, everyone's uh, deserted me. Uh, Again, speaking in hyperbole. But including Phygelus and Hermogenes. So Phygelus and Hermogenes. These are two men. We don't know a lot about them other than that they deserted Paul. So not a great legacy, right, to be left in, in history. And maybe they were close friends of Paul's and their abandonment was particularly harmful. Particularly surprising. So he calls them by name. And so, in light of this, I've, I've prepared with me a list of names today of those who have been bothering me lately, and I'd like to, to share them with you. I'm kidding. Kidding. It's a joke. Don't worry. It's a joke. Uh, but, but here we see this window into Paul's heart, okay? Some of his dearest friends possibly have, have deserted him, and we see how lonely life can be or, or ministry can be. And this is one of those details, just by the way, kind of out of a side note, that helps us trust the reliability of the New Testament. Uh, because some people uh, will say, hey, these letters that we have in our Bible, they're not authentic. It wasn't really uh, Paul who wrote this. It was something that was like made up later or someone pretended to be Paul and, and wrote this and, and so on. But, but then you come across verses like this that are really personal and really embarrassing or, or discouraging in some ways. Like, hey, I'm in prison and everyone's deserting me. You know, it's not exactly the sort of thing you'd put in there if you were just making this up, like wanted to tell a good story. This isn't exactly the sort of detail you'd make up. Or if you wanted to pretend to be Paul or pretend to have someone with, to be someone with authority and power, uh, this isn't the sort of detail you'd include because this is all about vulnerability and, and loneliness and really a disheartened spirit. But it's important that we see it because sometimes we think, you know what, these, these people in the Bible that we read about are just these, these powerful examples of faith, and it's almost like they're untouchable. You know, like, like we see what Paul does and all the incredible things he writes and ways he serves, and we think, well, we can't really relate with that because, I mean, come on, I mean, he's, he's Paul. He was, he was an apostle. Like, there's not really a lot of carryover with, with us today or or much we can take from that. Or sometimes we look at leaders today, even pastors or, or leaders in the public eye or leaders in ministry and say, well, they're, I mean, they're just, they're, they're leaders. And so they're almost like in a separate category. We can't really relate to them. But, but these situations, verses like uh, verse 15 show us that you know, Paul was a real person. These are real people with, with real struggles and discouragements that, that we can relate to. And so the first thing this can do, I think it can just remind us to deal honestly with our pain. Paul points it out. He doesn't hide this detail or this fact. He writes about it, and it's almost like he's just expressing it to Timothy. Hey, this is, this is hard. And often, let's be honest, in the church, sometimes we don't honestly deal with our pain. We don't honestly process maybe the wounds from our past whether it be from, from our family we grew up in or relational difficulty in our adult lives, we don't, we don't always deal well or deal honestly with those realities. 
we try and just, when we can rush into the future or spiritualize things, we, we don't do the hard work always of analyzing our wounds. And we're like that guy in Braveheart. Have you, have you seen Braveheart? Have we talked about Braveheart before? Uh, there's that scene, like one of the many, you know, battle scenes in the movie. And I think one of the older Scottish guys got like the blue war paint on his face. He gets, he gets shot with an arrow, you know, hit with like an arrow in his chest. So there's this uh, big old arrow sticking out of him. But they're in the middle of a battle, right? And so instead of like medic or like, I got to go, go home and, you know, deal with this. He's like, we're, we're fighting. I, I can't just stop. And so what does he do? You remember? He has this big arrow. He just breaks it off. And so he leaves the arrowhead and a little bit of it in his chest, and he just snaps the rest off. And then what? He, he just keeps on fighting. He just keeps on going like nothing happened. And I think that's a picture of what you and I do sometimes with our wounds. Right? We get hit with an arrow. Uh, whether it's because we've been uh, abandoned or gone through something traumatic or neglected or ignored or insulted or, or something happens to us, we have this big arrow sticking in our chest. And instead of doing the work to, to take the arrow out and, and to really deal with it and seek proper healing, we just, we just kind of break off the end of it, leave it in there, and we keep fighting because we have to. And then what happens is we leave those arrows in us and we get close to other people and we all have our, you know, arrows and we just kind of bump into each other and it hurts and we kind of uh, bump into those wounds because we've never actually taken the arrows out. So it makes relationships difficult in the future. And so what we need to do is do the work of bringing these wounds and issues and hurts to Jesus so that he can heal us, so he can take the arrow out. And we'd see genuine change and transformation and, and healing. And we're going to talk more about that in a bit, but it starts at least with acknowledging what's gone on and being aware and honest, like, like Paul is here in verse 15. Hey, hey pretty much uh, everyone's deserted me. I've been abandoned. And so we can say similarly, just being honest about our wounds. God, you know, it really hurt when my spouse didn't do what they said they were going to do. It made me feel unimportant. It made me feel unheard. It made me feel like I didn't matter to them. And God, that was really hard. And that's a wound. So you know what, God, it really hurt when I think back to my past and I I feel like maybe my parents were, were kind of uninterested in me. Or they were absent. That was really hard. Or, or got it hurt when in my, in my adult life, my friends uh, stopped talking to me. Or there's a certain group that, that because of maybe certain decisions I made or certain decisions I, I didn't make, uh, people distanced themselves from me. God, that really hurt. You know what, God, a lot of times I feel alone. God, I don't really know if, if anyone really sees me. Now, I'm not saying we, we, we stay here forever, but I'm saying we do need to start here by just acknowledging the pain and difficulty like Paul does in verse 15. Now, he, we'll come back to this in a bit, but he, he continues in verse 16, and, and he gives us an example of someone doing the opposite, right? So many people have deserted me. 
and abandon me. And that's really hard. But here's some, someone who has done the opposite. Verse 16. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Oh, excuse me. Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Sorry. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So in contrast to Phygelus and Hermogenes, we have Onesiphorus here in verse 16. So if you are looking for a biblical baby name, steer clear of Phygelus and Hermogenes. Okay, those would be in the no category. And instead, say big yes to Onesiphorus. I'm going to be honest, that, that name is not on uh, my or Amber's list for baby names coming up, but uh, maybe it would be for you. Onesiphorus, big yes there. Because what? Paul says, everyone deserted me except for him. And I want God to show mercy to him. I pray good things for him because our friend Nissi here, we can call him Nissi, he refreshed me. And he wasn't afraid of my, excuse me, ashamed of my chains. He often refreshed me. This is a term that would, uh, in some places, refer to like acts of hospitality or welcome. And so some commentators think that, hey, when, when Paul was doing ministry in Ephesus, um, Onesiphorus, you know, opened up his home and let Paul stay there. That's possible. Uh, but also this could mean, hey, in Paul's time of need, uh, simply his friendship and his prayer and his encouragement lifted Paul's spirits. In verse 16, he, he wasn't ashamed of my chains. He wasn't embarrassed. He wasn't uh, afraid to be associated with me. And even more than that, verse 17 says, what well, he actually he had to search pretty hard to find me. Right? Paul's in prison in Rome and maybe it wasn't easy to locate. We don't know why exactly our friend Nissi was in Rome. Maybe he went to see Paul. Maybe uh, he was there on business and so he made a detour to see Paul. Maybe he was a servant. Uh, in someone's household, and he was on business from his master to go and do something. He said, I'm going to stop and see Paul. We don't exactly know, but either way, he, he goes and he finds Paul and he encourages him. Now, we have to be honest here. Sometimes we feel like Paul in verse 15, like we've been deserted, we've been abandoned, we've talked about that pain and what that's like, but sometimes we are the ones who leave. Sometimes we're the ones who check out or who don't show up. We're the ones who are kind of embarrassed or ashamed, whatever, for whatever reason. We want to distance ourselves from other people. Sometimes we do that. And so now, more than ever, friends, we need to see the example of Onesiphorus, Nissi for short, and, and follow it. That we could be life-giving friends, life-giving parts of this church. And so I want to see a few lessons we can learn from our friend Onesiphorus here, okay? The first is that we should have a posture of seeking to refresh others. We should seek to refresh other people. All right, verse 16, he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So we know, friends, that, that people are tired right now. We're all living in this strange season. And now more than ever, people need a word of encouragement. People need a friend to show up. Right? Paul's in prison. 
And Onesiphorus, his posture is what? I need to go and refresh him. I need to go and encourage him. I need to go and lift his spirits. I want to be a friend that, that refreshes and encourages other people. And we too should have that same posture. Like, a, you ever see those water boys on uh, sp- professional sports games? Whether it's, I think hockey does it the most, but they all got water boys, right? Football or hockey, whatever. And sometimes in hockey games, you'll see that the players don't even like grab the water bottle themselves and take a drink. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they just like open up their mouth. And, like, and the water boy like comes over and just like psh, sprays the water. And it's almost like the water boy, his whole job is to make sure that the team stays refreshed. And so he's got his water ready, and he's just like looking around, and someone, you know, one of the players is like, ah. And he, he runs over and just, psh. And then he sees the next guy, oh, he, psh. Or the football player, ah, psh. Like that's his job. I'm going to refresh the team so that they can continue doing what they need to do. Now, obviously, there's some concerns right now with COVID and germs, and so I'm not like literally recommending you go and get a water bottle and walk around spraying people in the face, or, or you know, that, that could get a little weird, could lead to some awkward social interactions, and so I'm not suggesting the literal water bottle spray in the face, okay? I don't want any emails about that, okay? But you get the idea that we should see ourselves that we want to refresh our friends, our brothers and sisters, and have that posture. I'm going to look around for who I can encourage, who I can refresh. It reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4, because so much of this we do with our words, right? So much of this is just by things that we say. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I think we talked about this verse recently. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So when you speak, When you use your words, I only want you to do it in a way that is going to be helpful and build others up according to their needs. So I want you to be aware of what other people need and use your words to build them up, not tear them down, not just fight with them, not just assert yourself, build them up. That's the heart of a Christian. Now, I don't know how often we can genuinely say that's our posture. When we think about the things we say on social media or the the text messages we send or the interactions in person, again, do we have this heart always? I don't think we do. I know I don't always. And sometimes we we try to to prove a point or we want to just assert ourselves or we want to win an argument or we want to talk about ourselves a lot. We don't always use our words just to build others up. Friends, I, I had a call the other week uh, with a mentor, a dear friend and uh, brother who's just older and, and is just an encouragement to me. I'm so grateful for his presence uh, in my life. And it sounds simple, but what was so life-giving about our conversation the other week was simply that he took an interest in me. Simply that he, he was curious about my life, that he asked questions. Tell me, what's that like? Yeah, how are you? How's that been for you? How's family? How's church? How's, how's work? How's community? It was so refreshing that, that he was interested enough, cared enough about me that he would ask these questions and, and, and listen well. And friends, I think it's, let's just be honest, it's sometimes so easy to talk about ourselves or our ideas or what we're doing. We need to be friends who, who, who listen well. And one of the best ways to encourage and refresh other people 
is to take a genuine interest in their lives. So what do we be people like that? And sometimes this refreshment is, again, with our words, and sometimes it's just simply showing up. That's what he says. Onesiphorus, he wasn't ashamed of me, Paul says. He stood by me. He found me in prison. He wasn't worried about what it would mean for him if he was seen with me. He just showed up. And that's what our church family needs right now, to link arms, to stand together, to show up, to refresh one another. The second thing we can learn from our friend Onesiphorus is that to refresh others, we will likely have to go out of our way. Right? Verse 17 says, On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. Okay, so he had to search for me, Paul says. It took effort. So we have to ask, do do we put effort and thought and planning and strategy into loving those around us. Because we all know that, that gestures and acts of love mean more when we know that they were costly. You know that as a church, we've been partnering with this ministry called Foster the Bay, which is about raising up Christians to answer the call to become foster parents and welcome vulnerable kids into their homes. Um, it's, it's been exciting and fun to see your response already. People have been coming out to interest meetings. But, but here's the deal. Um, we've been talking with the leaders in the organization, um, and they're just incredible people. And, and recently, just a small example, they, they sent us, Amber and I, uh, a gift. They sent us just a handwritten card, uh, a, a book, uh, a couple toys for the kids, and they simply wanted to encourage us uh, to thank us for what we're doing. And they just wanted to say, hey, we, we see you and we appreciate you. And, and that gesture, I just want you to know, that gesture meant a lot, right? Because it wasn't just a text or an email. Text messages are good and encouraging and, and emails are, are good and helpful and encouraging. And a phone call is helpful. Uh, those are all good things. But this, this was beyond that. This was, hey, I'm going to write out a card to you. I'm going to go through the work of getting it in the mail. I'm going to order these books and these age-appropriate gifts for your kids. I'm going to thoughtfully think about what could bless you. And I'm going to put this thing together and get it in the mail and take time to get it to you. That was, it was thoughtful. It took planning. It took money. And, and sometimes our love for people is in inconvenient ways. But sometimes it's not going to be convenient to love people. I just picture Onesiphorus like in ancient Rome going door to door, like looking for Paul with like a handwritten picture of Paul. Like, have you seen this guy? No, he's in jail. Yeah, I really want to find him. Yeah, he was saying stuff about Jesus and they didn't like that. He was going around. Hey, have you seen Paul throughout ancient Rome? It took time. He had to adjust his schedule. It took effort. That's the kind of love that we're, we're called to. And so we did this, this last week, just a, an encouragement, a next step for you, uh, for us, is to, to do something this week to encourage someone, to let them know you see them. Whether it's a text or a call or a, a simple gesture, a handwritten card, uh, uh, an unexpected gift, uh, a need of theirs, an errand you run for them, some way to say, hey, I see you, I'm for you, I want to encourage you. So we see in this text just a few short verses, right? We see the discouragement of being abandoned, and we also see the joy of friendship. And it closes in verse 18. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day, 
You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. So Paul just says, may the Lord grant that he will find mercy. Paul just desires his friend Onesiphorus to stay the course, to be blessed by God. Uh, And when he stands before him one day, receive mercy in Christ. Now, before we close, I do want to circle back briefly to verse 15, where we saw Paul uh, abandoned and deserted and alone in prison with his friends that don't want to be associated with him. And we talked about uh, the pain that that could bring, that we felt in our lives in different ways in situations like this. And we got to start by acknowledging the pain and bringing that to, to Jesus. And I, I want to talk about maybe just one step we could take to begin to heal. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, you know what, I don't want to think about refreshing or encouraging other people. I, I can't think about going out of my way to love others because I'm exhausted and I've, I've been abandoned and I'm incur- uh, discouraged and I feel empty. And if that's you, I, I get it. If you're here this morning, I want you to know just first that one healthy, appropriate option will be to, to seek counseling and professional help. Okay, sometimes we have this like stigma about uh, mental health and going to counseling or a therapist to address those issues, but uh, those options are available to you and healthy and, and appropriate. And so if you're depressed, if you are dealing with trauma, if you are dealing with abuse in your past, you don't have to figure it out on your own or just say a prayer and hope that it will be healed. I encourage you to get help to talk to someone. So that's point one. But I also want you to know, just, just before leaving today, I want you to know of the incredible love of God for you and how deeply he sees you he, he cares for you. I want you to know how the good news of Jesus can address those wounds in our hearts, those wounds in our past. And I want us to see that, that ultimately Jesus is the one who, who refreshes us, who, who heals us. See, here's the deal. Many of Paul's friends abandoned him. They were ashamed of him and being in prison and where his life had ended up. But The good news of the gospel is that Jesus wasn't ashamed of us. And rather than distancing himself from us, he he draws near. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 tells us that though he was God, he put on flesh and was born in human likeness. So Jesus, fully God, fully man. This is the doctrine of the incarnation. God in the flesh. God with us. Us. So, so Jesus, God himself, did not look at us and say, you know what, eh, these people are kind of embarrassing to be associated with. They're kind of, kind of icky or I don't really want to be close to those people. Now Jesus looked at us and said, I'm not going to stay away. I'm going to draw near. I'm going to come from heaven and walk among my people. And not only did, did God himself come to earth, and walk among us. He didn't just draw near to human beings. He didn't even come and draw near to like the really important human beings, like the really special or royal human beings, the kings, the real like movers and shakers in the world. No, who did Jesus come and hang out with? 
He can't even hang out with the, with the sinners, with the outcasts, with those on the margins. In Mark chapter 2, verse 16, again, people see who Jesus is hanging out with and they're like, why is he hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Like, why is he associating with those people? Doesn't he know how that makes him look? So not only did God himself come to walk among us, but he came to those that are seen as imperfect like us and unclean like us and sinful like us. The people that other people maybe don't want to be around. Jesus says, I, I want to be around them. I want to draw near to them. And not only, friends, not only did he come to be near to us, he came to save us. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus died for you and he died for me, so that we might be forgiven of our sins and brought into the family of God. And this is the good news of the gospel, that for whoever believes, whoever uh, repents and places their faith in Jesus will be forgiven of their sins, brought into the family of God, adopted as a child of God. I encourage you, if you haven't made that decision, to let today be the day you put your faith in Jesus. And so do you see how when we realize this about Jesus and the hope of the gospel, how it changes us? When we see God's love for us, it gives us hope and confidence to step out into the world so that we can say, you know what, even if I am rejected, even if I am abandoned by others, I know that God is near to me. I know that God won't leave me. I know that God sees me. I know that God loves me. His love changes us. And then the love of God motivates us to go out and be the type of friends that we see here in verses 16 to 18. To be like Onesiphorus. To love others how we have been loved. Because we see the love of God and how God has been faithful and kind and good to me. And so in light of that, I want to be someone who extends that same kind of love to other people. And so friends, we have a chance this morning to celebrate uh, communion together as a church. I know it's a little different because we're not in the same room, we're scattered, but we uh, together now are going to take the elements uh, representing the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body. Uh, don't take it yet. But he said, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so he then called his disciples to take the elements, the bread and the cup. And Christians have been doing so ever since to remember Jesus and his great sacrifice and his great love for you and for me. And this is something for Christians, for anyone who has put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. We invite you to participate with us. I'm going to say a short prayer and then we'll take the elements. Would you pray with me? God, we, we see this, this charge in the text to be friends like Onesiphorus, who refresh others, who love others, who show up, who encourage, who help. And we know that we're often not able to live that out. We fail, we sin, and so we need your forgiveness. 
And God, so we come with humble hearts just acknowledging our own sin before you. As we prepare to take communion, we acknowledge that uh, we have sinned and we need grace. We need your forgiveness. And we thank you that you've provided a way for us to be forgiven and restored to a relationship with you. So Jesus, we remember you this morning as our Savior. And we pray you would help us demonstrate your love to others. Would you empower us by your Spirit to live new lives in which we do that? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, again, on on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, He said, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread? And in the same way, he, after supper, took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me.